speaking. I'm your host, Nate Harris. Today, we're going to talk about bots, automation, those things you see on Twitter. How do they work and how do you make your own? We got a great panel of guests lined up today. Let's jump right into it. Joining me now is Alexandria Nickens, uh, the Internal IT Operations Manager at uh, International Nonprofit. Thank you for joining me here on the podcast. Sure thing. So we're going to talk about bots today and I want to talk to you kind of just a broad overview of what is a bot. So what is a bot? Well, a bot is really, it can be a lot of different things, but in general, it is an interactive piece of automation. So it's something that lets people really simply complete a task that would otherwise take them more time, but in a way that's more interactive than just clicking a button. Okay. So a bot has to be interactive. Yes, definitely. Okay, cool. Um, and is there any specific platform or something that works on? I mean, I know there's, there's Twitter bots and there's customer service bots on any website you go to. Well, yeah, like I said, bots can be a lot of different things. So you can, there can be chat bots, which are bots that someone is chatting with. Like, you know, you're talking about customer service. So a lot of places now when you start chatting with a support agent on their website, you're really actually chatting with a bot and then they're only going to bring in a real human once that bot has kind of reached its limit to help you. Or you could have something like a Twitter bot that's automatically tweeting something, you know, every time a New York Times article is released or something, you know, it's automatically tweeting the headline. So there's all sorts of bots that can do different things. And it's not really limited by platform or by programming language. It can really be written in almost any programming language like JavaScript or Python. Okay. So what makes what makes a good bot? Like, what should somebody take into account when they're making a bot? Well, first and foremost, because it's meant to be interactive and really be helping the user, it has to be easy and simple to interact with. It has to be something that's going to make the user's life easier, not more difficult. And that can, again, really look in a lot of different ways depending on the type of bot. But one example in the case of a chat bot where you know you have a customer who's going to your support website and trying to get help with a question, you really want to make sure that that chat bot emulates a human. You want to make sure that the customer is going to feel comfortable talking, quote unquote, talking to the bot and not feel like they are talking to a robot because that is something that can be really annoying for customers. So in the case of a chatbot, you really want to make sure it has that personal touch. So that's just one example. The specifics of what makes a good bot is really going to depend on the type of bot you are talking about. But in most cases, I would say the most important thing to pay attention to, other than just you know making sure it works, is what the user experience looks like. Gotcha. Okay. And what is a good user experience? I guess in your experience with bots, what what goal were you trying to accomplish? 
So one example of a bot I've worked on before. So like you said at the beginning, I work at an international organization and we don't have customers, but I support our internal IT. And because we have employees all over the world in various time zones, it can be hard sometimes when someone in, let's say, you know, Ethiopia has a question that's pretty urgent and it's 2 a.m. in the U.S. and none of our U.S.-based IT support is awake. Well, what we did to kind of help solve that issue or at least mitigate it to an extent was we turned our, I shouldn't say turned our help desk into a chat bot, but we created a chat bot to kind of be the first line of defense in our help desk. So similar to what I was describing earlier with the customer support case, but in this case, it's internal employees could go to this chat bot and ask it a question. And hopefully the chat bot would be able to respond to the question and help them out without them ever actually having to interact with a human. And again, we started this because we have employees all around the world and sometimes our US-based IT staff was not awake when they had an issue. But what we discovered over time was that it solved a lot of other issues as well because it became our frontline response for all issues. We found that the bot was actually able to answer a lot of users' common questions and problems without ever having to escalate it to a human support tech. And that freed up a lot of our capacity to work on bigger projects rather than just responding to questions constantly. Gotcha. So it ended up becoming a really cool, good tool for you guys. For sure. For sure. Gotcha. Cool. Well, there are good bots. There are also... Maybe not so good bots. Next up, we're going to talk to Colson Craig about his experience trying to combat a bot. Joining me next here is Colson Craig. Colson Craig is uh, knows a little bit about bots, but actually we're going to be talking to him about uh, when bots become nefarious or cross the line. Uh, Colson, thank you for joining me. Happy to be here, Nate. Good talking to you again. Yeah, so... We're talking about bots, and we just talked about what a bot is and how people interact with bots. Um, and we're going to talk later on with uh, another guest, Maggie Lee, about bots made for good and how to get started making a bot. But just as there are good bots, there are bad bots or bots that kind of skirt along the line there. Specifically, what I want to talk to you about is your experience trying to get a, a PlayStation 5, a very highly contested item, very new, very popular right now, and the difficulties you faced uh, getting that, knowing that uh, there were a lot of automated bots out there also trying to grab the product as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a an interesting experience trying to get a PS5, and actually... I got super lucky and got one, but I've been trying ever since launch day to get one for my friend. We've both been trying together for the last several weeks. I guess it's been like two and a half weeks now to get one, and we have had no luck, and we've been at the ready every time they've been available, set up all kinds of alerts, but the bots just seem to get to these sites immediately. It's very frustrating. One of the I guess most popular bots right now. It's actually a thing called BirdBot uh, that hit its stride and had a massive community around it. Early on in the coronavirus pandemic, um, unrelated to the pandemic, it was 
new Nintendo Switches. Uh, mm. There was a large release of that, and people made these bots that basically constantly check uh, Walmart and Best Buy and basically check them every second, even sometimes faster than a second, to see if the product mm. is in stock and actually have automated the checkout process. So you can set the bot up to monitor a specific product and it will run constantly trying to uh, grab the product for you and automatically check it out for you. So uh, there's there's little to no interaction that uh, a user has to do. And of course, uh, as the coronavirus pandemic went on, people were, again, using it to, to try to get a product, usually get hundreds of them very quickly, and then resell them on places like eBay. Um, but as the coronavirus pandemic was happening and people were needing to work from home and needing technology like webcams, these bots were being used to go out and grab products like webcams, and then people would you know, sell them for extremely high prices on eBay as, as second sellers. And then, of course, when the PlayStation 5 came around, that was a very hot topic item. Uh, there was a lot of talk in the community of people that use these bots who were all setting their sights on getting the PlayStation 5. Sure, and it's sort of interesting. In fact, this has been the biggest launch, the biggest console launch ever, and definitely, probably, and definitely the biggest Sony console launch ever. They just announced that, I think, this morning or last night uh, in terms of units sold in this amount of time. And so there's been more supply than ever before, and yet it seems harder than ever to secure one. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that all of the stock is only available online, in the United States anyway. And that's interesting because in the past, bots have existed. Like in 2013, when the PS4 launched, bots did exist, and it was hard securing a PS4 online. But... Every local store, Walmart, Target, Best Buy, even your local video game store, if it existed in 2013, had stock secured. So all you had to do to really get a PS4 was be be willing to get up early in the morning one day on launch day and not be ready 24 hours a day anytime they might go in stock and you might get one if you can somehow get in before the bots. And so the the COVID pandemic has sort of exacerbated a problem that existed online but not in person. But now, since all the sales are online, as far as Sony is concerned, um, you just can't get one at all. Sony said, hey, we're going to only sell them online for the rest of the year because we don't want people feeling like they have to go into the store because COVID. And it's frustrating because this has actually meant that it's harder than ever to get one. Now, full disclosure... Uh, I, trying to help you out when you were struggling to get one, I actually tried to use BirdBot to get you a PlayStation 5. I was unsuccessful because I think when you have thousands of people all trying to get the same product, you can automate the process and you can check every tenth of a second if you'd like, but it still comes down to milliseconds. And so even with automated processes, it's really difficult. And I'm sure as a human, if you're just checking manually yourself it's it's nearly impossible to catch it at the right time yeah and and i'd say that i mean there's nothing wrong in my opinion of running a bot to get a console for yourself to use you know that's my thoughts on the matter in fact it seems like just using the tools available available to you to make a purchase that you already want to make the problem is people setting up a bunch of you know VPNs and virtual machines 
and then running a bunch of copies of the bot to try and secure as many consoles as possible to scalp. It's really frustrating. These people don't even want one of these units, and they're, you know, taking it away from someone who's ready with their money in hand to buy one from Sony. There's nothing that these stores can really do about it other than try to mitigate bots as best they can, although there's been limited success with that. And I think the first run of consoles, there were just no protections at all. And some of the sites have gotten better since launch day. Like Best Buy's newest system is actually really great. It's it's frustrating that people would buy 100 units or even 10 units to try and resell when there are so many people that just want one to play video games on. It's certainly an ugly side of automation when people uh, use it for for uh, the wrong means. Sure, and I'm I'm slightly conflicted in the sense that in general I have no problem with hey if you find something that you think is worth more than what it's being sold for, I don't have a problem with you buying it and then selling it at a profit. I mean that's what every business does is they make something or they purchase something and mark it up and make a profit. But this is such a a specific situation where the supply is only limited because it's impossible for Sony to make more. In other words, Sony is definitely manufacturing as many units as they possibly could. And so, I mean, I assume so is Microsoft with the Xbox. And they're selling all that they possibly can. The only bottleneck is the speed of the manufacturing. And people are just taking advantage of this shortfall and uh, ripping people off. It's very upsetting. I would encourage anyone, you know, still waiting on one, not to pay a scalper, just to wait until you can secure one yourself for the regular retail price. I mean, that's the thing to do. Now, how did you manage to get yours? So I uh, followed a Twitter user uh, who was who is still now tweeting about when PS5s go in stock. There's two of them, and I follow both of them. And he tweeted about Ant Online having bundles up and uh, normally the way these bundles work is that it's like the console three games you don't want and two accessories you don't want but it turned out one of the bundles that went up was exactly the stuff i wanted which was one extra controller and the two games i wanted to buy at launch and so i luckily managed to get in and i spammed add to cart and it failed a bunch of times and eventually i got through and managed to check out successfully purely luck I'm sure that the bots were there, and I think I just got lucky because the the site was crashing and coming back over the course of like 15 minutes, minutes, and I just happened to get one into my cart and check out and uh, get it secured. And in fact, I didn't know it was secured until the next day. They sent out a tweet saying, hey, we might have to cancel some of these orders. We're not sure about the number, but in fact, my order was confirmed, and I managed to get one. Fantastic. Indeed. Yeah, I, I got lucky. I also, I the same thing with... I bought a, a Series X. That one uh, I got because of uh, Sam's Club. So Sam's Club, you know, is membership members only. And uh, the Series X went in stock for members only. And I'm a Sam's Club member. And I bought it on the app. Apparently the website had crashed, but the app was still working. And so, I, I, you know, if you're still trying to get one of these, I'd encourage, I'd encourage you to buy, like, the minimum membership for Costco and Sam's. Because when they go up, there's at least the filter of only members being able to get through and so it's a much smaller pool of people because you know you can't have uh, all the not every bot can have its own uh, sam's club account so 
it's a much smaller pool of bots and regular users. So. so there are still ways to beat a bot. Yeah, for the time being. I mean, the end game is definitely bots winning, I think. I don't know how you can get around it. I mean, with machine learning, they'll just get smarter and smarter. But uh, hopefully the next time there's a big console launch like this or even most product launches, we won't have to buy everything online and we can do it the old way and say, hey, the be- local Best Buy, the local GameStop, if GameStop still exists at the time, has 100 secured. All I have to do is be one of the first 100 people at the store in the morning. And I think that's much more or much less uh, frustrating and insanity inducing. Do you have any experience with good bots or any any bots you like? We're about to talk with a reporter who has built their own Twitter bot to monitor and uh, publish public information. So there are some good bots out there. Any of your favorites? Well, as far as good bots, uh, I use several bots on Discord, for example. I suppose, I mean, Discord bots are great. I write automation for my job. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it a bot. It's really not. But it is automation, which is fun. Uh, Certainly, I think the majority of automation and the majority of bots are made to be helpful and improve our lives and make them more convenient. It's just that, like any technology, they can be used for nefarious reasons. So um, you just have to take the good with the bad, I suppose. But this specific example is one, you know, where it's more like uh, the bots are being used for the wrong reasons, which is unfortunate. Because again, I think even BirdBot and bots like it can be used for perfectly legitimate fine reasons. In this case, you could literally fight fire with fire. Well, literally, you could fight fire with fire and use the BirdBot to secure yourself a PlayStation for yourself. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Even BirdBot is not a bad bot. It's the it's the user of the bot, the human, that is doing the bad thing. Colson, thank you so much for joining me. Next up, we're going to talk to Maggie Lee, a reporter who has developed her own bot on Twitter to monitor public information. Stay with us. Joining us now is Maggie Lee, a freelance politics and data reporter from Atlanta. Uh, Maggie, thank you so much for joining me. Hi. We're talking about bots. You actually have used them in your reporting. Can you talk a little bit about what you do with them? Sure. Since I cover politics and government, I find myself having to monitor like a lot of different um, like government data sources, like uh, when the governor posts an executive order or when some agency is having a board meeting. So um, I have a bot uh, written in Python that scrapes maybe 15 or so websites looking for things that might be of interest to me in my reporting. And, um, you know, I just thought I'd, I'd share it and not make it, you know, private to me, but make it a public bot on Twitter. So anybody um, who wants to see a lot of like Georgia and Atlanta public notices, come on over to my bot. Now, has, uh, has that ever dug up something? Like you say, it's posting a lot of press releases and all that stuff have you actually found something interesting or juicy from that um well no it's it's not juicy uh per se because nobody's gonna like post anything juicy on the you know agenda of you know the the department of natural resources board meeting page it's it's just really a way for me to um keep up with public notices from various agencies so it you know it, it turns up things I need to know, 
that are not necessarily stories in themselves. You know, maybe every now and then a governor will post an executive order that's news, um, but it, it's it's more like an organization tool. It's not necessarily like breaking hot news or anything. Gotcha. It has saved you time. Oh my your, gosh! Your... Yes, yes. That is why I invented it because it's like I can't be looking at websites, checking websites, the same websites every single day for updates. I'm going to let a robot do that for me. Now, how did you get the idea and how did you go about actually making it? Um, I, I got the idea, gosh, probably maybe something like four or five years ago now. And it was just, you know, my routine at work. I was like, I'm checking these websites and I'm, you know, missing things, right? Because I'm just one human trying to keep up with so many disparate sources of information. Um, and I, I got inspired by, I saw a, a reporter at... Um, I think it was Vermont Public Radio built a Twitter bot that tweeted every time there was like a sewage spill in the state, like there was a data data feed for her state's um, environmental protection division that would, you know, post every time there was a sewage spill, some latitude or longitude. So um, she wrote like sewage bot. And I thought, you know what, there's a lot of things I could I could harvest like that. And I, I think I probably started with the governor's executive orders. Again, they're public information, right? But, and I need to read them when they come out. But, um, you know, I don't want to like get up every morning and check 10 different web pages. And you chose to put it on Twitter so that everybody could see it. Yeah, because I was like, this is, this is kind of a cool, fun thing. And maybe other reporters could use it. Maybe um, like activists or members of the public could use it. And I mean, it's not like it's super popular. It, I mean, it has maybe something like 500 followers and probably a lot of those followers themselves are bots. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it turns up things that, that I know other reporters use sometimes. So that, that's good. We're all, we're all on, you know, team transparency here. There's a lot of very interesting Twitter bots out there that kind of automate tasks, specifically in journalism. Uh, mm-hmm. I know another big one is, I think it's called Big Cases Bot from a guy who used to be at USA Today who, mm-hmm. similar to you, he kind of monitors federal court cases. Just kind of bringing, I guess, information that might otherwise be lost in a press release and kind of making it front and center. Right, right. I mean, that's, that's, that's you know, it, it helps uncover leads. These bots help uncover leads, help keep us organized. Now, what was the process you went through uh, building the bot? Was this your first Python project or how, how hard or easy was it to make this thing? Um, it... I don't know if it was my first Python project, but it was it was near the first um, when I was uh, when I went to college. Like I like I already knew a little bit of programming because we we had to take computer science in college, and so you know I I already had like a it's a forty thousand foot view definitely, but I already had a forty thousand foot view of what is a programming language, what is an algorithm, what's a loop, what's you know what are data types. I got a I got a book called uh, Automate the Boring Stuff, and it is a uh, it's a good um, sort of bridge from non coding automations you can do in Google Sheets to you know stepping up and maybe starting to use programming languages. And it, and it started small, you know. The first probably the first thing I tweeted was probably maybe the governor's executive orders, and then. Um, you know, for a while, IFTTT, I used IFTTT, if this, then that, which is a site that just, you know, like it'll check RSS feeds and, and you know, machine readable data streams and 
it'll tweet on your behalf when something interesting comes out. So there were interim steps, definitely, before this was an all Python project. And I, I learned a lot of Python along the way. Now, if somebody were to want to start their own bot, political bot, news bot, whatever, um, mm -hmm. what would be the one piece of advice you would say to them? Um, if you're not a coder yet, don't be intimidated. There's all kinds of like books and resources out there to help you learn. Um, there are no dumb questions. Pick up that book, automate the boring stuff. There's all kind of tutorials within journalism specifically. You know, you can find you can find help and tutorials and resources. Journalists tend to either use Python or R. There's nothing, you know, intrinsically better about them than anything else necessarily. It's just that they are kind of the standard. So if you're looking for models within journalism, it'll probably be in one of those two languages. And if you if you already know how to code, come on and, and make a bot. It's fun. It looks like it. <laughs> yeah, I've enjoyed this project. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and filling us in on your bot. If people want to follow it on Twitter. It's at GA Poll Bot, right? Yep, yep. It's uh, our it's G A P O L Bot, Joppelbot or Gopplebot, but it stands for Georgia Politics Bot. Awesome. Well, I will have the link to the bot as well as to Maggie's uh, Twitter account and website down in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us, Maggie. Thank you. And that's going to do it for today's episode of Technically Speaking. Thank you so much for listening. I'd like to thank all of my guests for joining me. Their contact information, if you would like to reach them, is down in the show notes description along with my information. I'm Nate Harris on Twitter at N with an 8, N-W-I-T-H-A-N, the number 8. Thank you so much again, and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. You stay classy. Thank you.